My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Fifty-year-old Sheila Davalu is incarcerated at the Bedford Hills Correctional Center in New York. For longtime Snapped viewers, her saga began more than a decade ago. First, in 2006, after she was convicted of attempting to murder her husband, Paul Christos. The judge looked at Sheila and said, you tried to murder your husband, you waited for him to die, you pretended to call for help, and then you stabbed him again once you brought him to the hospital. The judge said to Sheila, you have lied over and over and over. You are a dangerous threat to society. After Sheila's conviction, investigative journalist M. William Phelps took a personal interest in her case and decided to write a book about it. Obsession really is a book that people can't get enough of. It's one of my best-selling books. Sheila is obsessed with everybody and obsessed with herself and obsessed with the men in her life. And now we dive into Sheila Davalu's second episode of Snapped during its ninth season, making her the first woman on the series to be featured twice. 33-year-old Sheila Davalu was a woman in love. She carries on this steamy affair. And she didn't let her marriage stand in the way. He believed she was separated, divorced. But her lover chose another woman. That's the ultimate betrayal right there for Sheila. Then Sheila's rival ended up dead. She was stabbed numerous times. Police were at a loss until Sheila's husband was also attacked. It's during the investigation into her husband's stabbing that Westchester police learn of Sheila's lover, 35-year-old Nelson Sessler, and the murder of his girlfriend four months earlier in Stamford, Connecticut. 
At the time, the crime had been reported by an anonymous caller. Yeah, hello. I think the guy is, is attacked my neighbor. You think someone attacked your neighbor? The caller didn't identify herself or the person allegedly being attacked. What is your friend's name? I don't know her name, but she's my neighbor and she lives in a 105. She lives in apartment 105? Right. I'm, I'm in 106 Harbor View. 123 Harbor View. 126 Harbor View. 123 Harbor View. She gave several different addresses. Uh, street numbers. But the caller was clear on one thing. A man was attacking her neighbor. I saw a guy go into her apartment. It does sound like it's an emergency. So two patrol cops head on over. They walk up the stairs, and they see that the door to Annalise's condo is kind of a little bit open. Immediately, they're on their toes. Bang. You know, what are we going to find in here? So they creep that door open a little bit, and what they find is a freaking horror show. The walkway from the front door was a bloody mess, things thrown about and, and um, knocked about. In the far corner, uh, just past the bathroom in the foyer, was uh, a female victim lying on her back. It was 32-year-old Annalisa Ramundo, and she was dead. Like Sheila, Annalisa Ramundo was the daughter of immigrants. Her parents had emigrated to the United States from the Philippines to pursue successful careers in medicine. Also like Sheila, Annalisa had followed in her parents' footsteps. Annalisa was super intelligent. She's a graduate from Harvard. Not anybody gets into Harvard. And she worked in pharmaceutical research, which is intense. Sheila remembers meeting Annalisa in the early 2000s when they were co-workers. Annalisa and I both worked at Purdue Pharma with Nelson. Our jobs didn't require us to interact too much, but I had cordial interactions with her, and she seemed very, uh, uh, very nice and level-headed. But there was nothing at the time of Annalisa's murder to connect Sheila to the crime. Her assailant was gone, and whoever it was had left little evidence behind. It was, apart from the blood, a pretty clean crime scene. Despite the lack of obvious clues at the crime scene, there might still be a way to identify Annalisa's killer. Right away, we felt that this might be a case where DNA might be a prominent type of evidence. In an edged weapon assault or a homicide, it's very common for the hand to slip off the handle or over the hilt and to go down on the blade, and the perpetrator cuts themselves. Crime scene technicians went to work swabbing the bloodstains, particularly in the bathroom adjacent to the foyer. You see a bloody trail going towards the bathroom. What does that say? When I look at that, I see that after the murder took place, that the person went into the bathroom to clean up because the killer had to then walk out of the condo in the middle of the day. So when Nelson shows up at Annalisa's condo later that afternoon, the way he's acting makes police think he could be a suspect. The first thing detectives notice about him is he's not broken up about this. He's not crying. 
He's not saying who could have done this to my fiance. He's kind of just sitting there. And one of the detectives notices he's got an injury, a fresh injury on his hand. So they kind of keep him in this common room. They go in there one time to question him. He's sleeping. They gotta wake him up to question him. Detectives think Nelson knows more than he's letting on. It's like he wants to walk away, wash his hands. Either that, or he had something to do with it. November 8th, 2002. 32-year-old Annalisa Ramundo has been brutally murdered in her Stamford, Connecticut home. And her boyfriend, Nelson Sessler, has become the first suspect. The first thing detectives notice about him is he's not broken up about this. Nelson's calm response to the news of Annalisa's death raises the suspicions of the detectives. You'd think that a normal response would be, what happened in my home? How did my girlfriend die once he was told she was dead? Uh, we just, we didn't get that from him. So later that night, the investigators brought Nelson down to the station for questioning. He's the obvious person of interest. You right away start thinking due to uh, the over-the-top violence that it's someone with some personal type of stake in uh, this relationship. It was a blitz attack. It was violent, it was personal, it was punitive, and it was meant to make Annalisa hurt. And according to Sheila, there was plenty of reason to suspect Nelson. He'd been living a double life for months. I think that the entire time that Nelson and I were having an affair, they were a couple. I just, I'm not exactly sure at what level. I know that Nelson was living with Annalisa at some point. Almost a week before Annalisa's death, Nelson and I were together in North Carolina. We spent three days together in the same hotel, booked by the company, and um, our relationship was just the way it always had been. But Nelson claims he had no reason to hurt Annalisa. And when detectives look into his alibi, it seems he's telling the truth. Whatever suspicions the investigators had about Nelson evaporated the next day when they went to Purdue Pharma. They have a very good security cameras, security system, and they were able to show what time he punched in, cameras showing his movement, and he was at work when this assault took place. We could rule him out as the perpetrator. But was there anyone else who might have a reason to hurt Annalisa? A jealous ex-girlfriend, perhaps? He had dated other women prior to Annalisa and really didn't see anything that was of any value to us. Nelson never mentioned Sheila Davalu. The one thing Nelson Sessler doesn't do is he doesn't say, I'm having an affair with Sheila Davalu someone I work with. He does not mention her name. Why? I don't know. I'd like to know. With no other leads, police focus on their first piece of evidence, the mysterious 911 call reporting Annalisa's murder. They have yet to learn the identity of the anonymous female caller, 
and believe she may hold the key to finding the killer. She identified the victim as my neighbor. That leads us to believe she's living in the complex. We canvass all the neighbors, but no neighbor in that area matches that voice. When the police traced the call, it didn't lead back to Annalisa's condo complex at all. Instead, the call had been placed from a nearby payphone. Why would a neighbor leave the complex, the safety of their home, to travel approximately three quarters of a mile and use a payphone to call this in? If there was an assault, a dispute going on, and they're in their home, they would just call from the home. Weeks after the murder, they were no closer to finding Annalisa's killer or the 911 caller. Every interview, we played that tape. Can you identify this caller? Does it sound like a friend? Does it sound like somebody you know? No one could identify the voice at all, not even close. There was a very frustrating period of weeks, if not months, where it's not moving forward at the speed that everybody would like it to. But then there's a big break surrounding the crime scene evidence in the case. When forensics starts to analyze all the blood, it's Annalise's blood. But then they find one spot on the sink that's not Annalise's blood. Another person left blood at that scene. So they have the killer's blood, the killer's DNA. That's huge. Now they got to match it to somebody. After Sheila Davalu is arrested for stabbing her husband, Westchester investigators start working with Stamford authorities to try to solve Annalisa's murder. The Westchester County detectives went straight to the Stamford Police Department. In the squad room, they briefed the investigators who had spent the past five months trying to solve the murder of Nelson Sessler's girlfriend, Annalisa Raimondo. The big breakthrough came when Stamford investigators played the mysterious 911 tape that had first tipped police off to Annalisa's murder. When we heard the 911 tape, I said to them, you know, that's Sheila Davalu's voice. One of the sergeants in charge of major crimes called me up, and his exact words were, Craig, get in here. Annalisa's breaking wide open. Then, detectives check Sheila's work records to see where she was the day Annalisa was murdered. When the investigators followed up at Purdue Pharma, the same security procedures that had previously confirmed Nelson's alibi revealed that Sheila didn't have one. She had left around lunchtime and taken an extended lunch. That's when Annalisa was murdered. That's when the 911 calls made. Once again, Sheila claims she has a reasonable explanation for her whereabouts. Every day I would leave for extended periods around lunchtime, oftentimes around 11 or 12, and come back around 1 or 2. And I would drive home for lunch and come back. I was also very depressed about, uh, you know, what I was doing with Nelson, guilty talks of divorce or possibly looming divorce. So I would take that extended break during the lunch hours. Despite the fact that Sheila insists that she has nothing to do with Annalisa's murder, the DNA results from the crime scene will tell a different story altogether.
Sheila Davalu is the prime suspect in the murder of Annalisa Raimondo. And after months of intense investigation, there's finally a break in the case. They get a hit on a very tiny droplet found in Annalisa's apartment on the tip of a faucet there. It's our theory that during this frantic struggle and stabbing that the suspect actually cut herself during that struggle and went into the bathroom to wash. And the test results had matched that DNA to their prime suspect. It's Sheila Davalus. We got her. Although detectives have the DNA match by 2004, over a year after Annalisa's murder, Sheila is already in prison for attempting to murder her husband. So, investigators take the time they need to build a solid case against her. On December 29, 2008, six years after Annalisa's murder, the Stanford police went to the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility and placed Sheila under arrest. How does Sheila Davalu react to it? The way she reacted to everything else. Didn't kill anybody. Sheila's a narcissist and a terrible liar. She'll just come out with these things that are so easily proven to be lies, but she seems to think she'll be able to convince anybody of her lies because she's that good. On January 24th, 2012, nearly a decade after Annalisa Raimondo was murdered, Sheila Davalu finds herself on trial once again. At 42 years old, she has already spent nearly eight years behind bars for the attempted murder of her husband, Paul Christos. Prosecutors believe they have an open and shut case. But Sheila has one more surprise in store. I decided to represent myself in this case. Through studies and through correspondent classes, I'd become pretty well versed in the law as it pertains to my case because I had researched it a lot. I wanted a little bit more control because once you have an attorney in, in place, you follow along whatever the attorney decides. According to the prosecution, Sheila killed Annalisa and then attempted to kill her husband, Paul, four months later so she could be with her lover, Nelson Sessler. Paul's own testimony helps prove that Sheila was trying to get him out of the way. She would ask you to move out for the weekend? Um, sometimes it would be one weeknight. Other times it was a weekend, yeah. And to keep your wife happy, you would move out? Yes, um, I genuinely believed at the time she was spending quality time with her brother. Paul has even more damning testimony. He tells the jury that Sheila concocted a story about a love triangle at work involving a man named Jack and two women one named Melissa, and the other, Annalisa. The way Sheila told it, her friend Melissa was heartsick because Jack was choosing Annalisa over her. What Paul didn't know was that Sheila was actually talking about herself. Paul is listening to this, and he's being sucked in by it. He's given his wife advice about an affair she's having, about a love triangle she's involved in at work and he doesn't know it. I think she thought that Paul was going to associate her with this love triangle with a woman named Annalisa. 
And I think she thought she needed to eliminate her husband, not just to get him out of the way so she could pursue Nelson, but to eliminate a witness to statements she had made that might trigger something in him and make him go to the police. To establish just what Sheila was capable of, Paul concluded by describing the bizarre game that he had been lucky to live through. As I was trying to guess what that item was, as it was, as it was kind of grazing my cheek, um, all of a sudden I felt like a large thrust on my chest. Sheila's cross-examination does little to help her case. What kind of interest do you have in the case? In the outcome of the case, do you... Well, it was a, it's a case that's been obviously in my life for many years, um, after what you did to me. It almost seemed like, like we were all uh, witnessing a, a couple's argument. It was difficult questioning him and talking about the New York case. It had been five years since I'd seen him or spoken to him, so it was emotional. Then, the state calls Sheila's ex-lover, Nelson Sessler, to the stand. He describes how Sheila hid her marriage from him with the same cover story she told Paul. Sheila said that she had a um, handicapped brother, a mentally challenged or a brother. Nelson tells the jury that as his relationship with Annalisa progressed, he stopped sleeping with Sheila. What happened to the intimacy that you had experienced with Sheila Davila? It, it ended. So on the stand, he's like, ah, we weren't really together. I was telling her I didn't want to be with her, that sort of thing. He was making it so it was not a big deal, their relationship. He wanted to step away from this. He did a pretty good job of trying to defend himself in that way. Again, Sheila has her own version of events. That never happened. Nelson never called off the relationship. Nelson would like people to think that he was not with both of us at the same time, but he was in actuality with both of us during the whole entire time he was both with, with her and with me, except that she didn't know that. However, Nelson then admits that a few months after Annalisa's murder, he started seeing Sheila again. Did you start to get even closer at that point? Uh, yeah. They showed that Sheila Davalu was Nelson's shoulder to cry on because he had lost his fiance. She'd show up at his apartment. Nelson, you need me. I can be here to comfort you, not as a girlfriend, but just as a friend. And she thought that would then blossom back into a relationship. The state also calls a voice analysis expert to the stand, who identifies Sheila as the one who called 911 after Annalisa was killed. I think the guy attacked my neighbor. When you look, you listen, you listen to it, it sounds like the same person. When you view, visually view the spectrograms, it looks like the same person. But Sheila claims she can prove that it's not her voice. By the mere fact, that I decided to represent myself in this case. You've had ample opportunity to listen to my voice. She was trying to prove that she would not be, she was not the one uh, making the call. It's very um, weak evidence, in my opinion. Whoever knows me, including my husband at the time, 
and friends, they have said that it does not sound like me. Uh, the 911 operator says that it sounded like a Spanish-speaking person. She just thinks, if I say enough times that I am not the voice on the tape, everyone will believe me. That's what will become the truth. So she's invested very much in controlling the narrative. And in Sheila's mind, the fact that she stabbed but not killed her ex-husband proves that she couldn't have been Annalisa's killer. Apparently, I had stabbed somebody before my husband nine times. Why did I stop after two times with my husband, drive him to the hospital, and stab him again in the hospital? I didn't have to stop. She's got elaborate explanations around everything and rationalizations, which is more supportive of a liar than a truth teller. According to the prosecutor, Sheila left behind the strongest piece of evidence in the case, her own blood. DNA tests confirm it's her. But Sheila points out something odd. I still don't believe the DNA that they have in that case. Why did this one evidence leave the crime lab? Will this be able to help her case? The sink handle, for some reason, was a resubmission to the laboratory. I can't get to the bottom of why this was resubmitted. Coming up, Sheila becomes a suspect in a third crime. They're looking at Sheila for another murder. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. tests confirm the blood in Annalisa Ramundo's bathroom came from Sheila Davalu. 
But to this day, Sheila believes the evidence was contaminated. The sink handle, for some reason, was a resubmission to the laboratory. I can't get to the bottom of why this was resubmitted. I still don't believe the DNA that they have in that case. The one item that had my DNA on it, which was a sink handle for the guest bathroom, left the crime lab and was returned to the crime lab at a later date. So why did this one evidence leave the crime lab? But during her trial, few were convinced by her argument. She picks apart every single piece of evidence, the voice expert, the DNA, the phone call. But she doesn't really give a good explanation about any piece of evidence being poor. You just can't wipe all of that out. On February 9th, 2012, after a two and a half week long trial, the case goes to the jury. They deliberate for only a day before returning a verdict. What say you, Mr. Foreperson? Guilty. At sentencing, Sheila acknowledges Annalisa's suffering, but she still doesn't admit any responsibility. I pray for all victims of crimes, especially, especially for Annalisa Raimondo and her family. Even now, Sheila refuses to admit involvement in Annalisa's murder, but expresses sympathy for her family. I feel pain for them because, you know, I can't even imagine um, losing a loved one. I felt the pain and the anguish, and it's all directed at me because they, they really believe that I did that. Despite her claims of innocence, Sheila Davalu is sentenced to 50 years in prison to begin after she has completed her 25-year sentence for the attempted murder of her husband. So Sheila really had 75 years to do when she's found guilty, which would what? Put her six feet under. She'd be dead before she gets out of jail. Shockingly, Sheila's story doesn't end there. In 2017, after 13 years in prison, there's a new twist in her case. Sheila gets a call that two detectives are here. And these detectives aren't from Stanford or Westchester County. They're from New Windsor, New York. And this isn't about Annalisa Raimondo or Paul Christos. They're looking at Sheila for another murder. I was visited here, uh, right here in this room, by detectives from yet another precinct uh, about a second murder. They came here to Bedford to question me, and it's a cold case. The crime occurred 11 months before the murder of Annalisa Raimondo, and the cases are eerily similar. The many similarities between the cases were somewhat striking, and it was something that had to be looked into. It involves the murder of a 32-year-old woman and former co-worker of Sheila's named Nancy Smith. Nancy was my younger sister. We're five years apart. She was the typical younger child. I was the reserved older child. She was funny. She loved life. She loved music. She loved to dance. She was fun to be around. 
On the morning of Wednesday, December 5th, 2001, Nancy's parents receive a concerning phone call. They had gotten a call from her boss or whoever she worked with saying that she hadn't come to work, you know, was something wrong. So they went to her house. Uh, they had a garage door opener for her house. They went in, they opened the garage, and her car was there. And they went in and they found her. They found her in her living room, covered with blankets and pillows. They didn't even know what it was until they started pulling everything off, and then they found her there. And then you just try to wrap your arms around all of that, which there's days, I'm crying now, there's days that you still can't wrap your arms around it. The Smiths call 911, and investigators rush to the scene. The room was in disarray. It appeared that there had been some sort of altercation, and there was a good amount of blood in the area. Nancy was hit on the head, and she was stabbed multiple times. She was strangled, so it appeared there was a lot of violence right then and there, right at the main level of her house. Detectives scour the crime scene for clues, and a few things stand out. At the scene, we did find a knife, and we did believe that knife was used as a weapon to murder her. Leaving the knife at the scene says a lot. In fact, leaving the knife at the scene is something Sheila Davalu would absolutely do. And that's to say, come and catch me. There was no signs of forced entry. There was nothing taken from the residence. That leads most to think that she would have known who the person or persons were that did this to her. Nancy was very safety conscious. She did not open the door unless she knew who you were. She knew the person that did this because she let them into her house. So who would have wanted to kill Nancy Smith? In their initial investigation, detectives interview hundreds of potential suspects and follow countless leads. We have interviewed friends of Nancy, family of Nancy, people that knew her. There was nothing outstanding that, you know, had led to that she had any enemies. In the first few months, we were very optimistic that the person who did this would be found. As time marches on, you know, in that first year, it became a little frustrating. You know, how could somebody do this and walk away and not be caught? After several months, the killer remains at large and the case goes cold. But then, in 2008, Sheila Davalu is arrested for the brutal murder of Annalisa Raimondo. And New Windsor detectives discover something striking. Like Annalisa Raimondo, Nancy Smith was also a former co-worker of Sheila Davalu. We know that in the 90s, Nancy and Sheila had worked together at a healthcare type facility. Detectives told my family that they had a new lead. Uh, it was a woman who lived in New York who had committed a murder in Connecticut. She worked at Oxford Insurance, and Nancy worked at Oxford Insurance at the same time period. So they thought, you know, there were similarities between the, the murder that she had committed and Nancy's murder. When detectives investigate further, many other similarities come to light. There were many important similarities between Annalise's case and Nancy Smith's case. 
They were both successful in living alone. There was no signs of forced entry. There was nothing taken from the residence. Both crimes appeared to be, you know, there was some sort of struggle, a brutal fight going on. They were both stabbed multiple times and they had trauma to the head. Add to the fact that they worked together at the same place, <laughs> and Sheila is definitely in my wheelhouse as a likely candidate to have murdered Nancy Smith. We know what happens to Sheila Davalu's co-workers if she chooses. And then another stunning clue adds to the suspicion on Sheila. In one of Nancy's calendar books, we did find a notation that said Nelson CT. We did have thinking that this could be the Nelson in the Sheila Davalu case. Was Nancy Smith dating Nelson Sessler? In 2017, 48-year-old Sheila Davalu is in her 13th year of a 75-year prison sentence at the Bedford Hills Correctional Center in New York. And she receives an unexpected visit from detectives about a cold case in New Windsor. She did not know we were coming, so we knew that going in, that it was going to be kind of a surprise for her, and we didn't know what to expect. When she saw us, and it was law enforcement suits basically sitting there, she went to turn back around and said, no, I don't want to do this. It was explained to her then kind of like at the doorway or in the hallway that we were there for something completely separate than what happened in her past that she was there for. We told her that our incident involved a former coworker of hers uh, that was murdered, and that's what we were there to talk about. That piqued her interest, and she agreed to sit with us and hear what we had to say. I told them straight up that I would be the perfect suspect for, for that case because I have the Annalisa conviction, so if you arrest me, I will be indicted and I will be convicted. We did show her photos of our victim, Nancy Smith. She did not appear to recognize her. She seemed somewhat surprised that she had worked with this person in the past. This lady and I work, used to work at Oxford at the time, and I don't really, I don't even recall her at all. During the course of the interview, Sheila did deny having to do anything with Nancy's murder. After interviewing Sheila for about an hour, detectives leave with no further insight into the case. There was nothing specific gained from her interview other than she claimed that she wasn't involved. We did interview coworkers of both Nancy and Sheila that knew them both at the same time period. No one could say that they were friends or saw them outside of work or anything like that. But to try to confirm Sheila's story, investigators know who they need to speak with next, her ex-lover, Nelson Sessler. Through our investigative means, we found him out of state North Carolina area, and we went there without letting him know for, that we were gonna show up for an interview. When first saying hi to Nelson. He was slightly reluctant to speak with us. He did agree to talk with us. Nelson did state that he did not know Nancy. There wasn't much information exchange going on. 
There was no new leads gained from him. He was very reluctant to talk about Sheila. And he did indicate that he was looking to put this behind him, and that's for the reason that he didn't want to really speak so much about it. Detectives had been certain that Nancy's note gave them the key to unlocking her murder. But the investigation is derailed when they discover that the Nelson on Nancy's calendar wasn't Sessler after all. It turns out Nelson was actually a band that was having a concert. Nancy was a fan. And um, we had found further proof that she attended this concert. And that was the date and notation that she had made in that case. Further insight into Nancy's case is made when crime scene DNA that did not belong to her is discovered. Sheila's DNA is on file due to her crimes, and there was no match of DNA that was found at the scene there. It appears that, for now, Sheila won't be dragged into a third murder case. But detectives are not about to give up trying to solve Nancy's murder. As we have seen, and in other investigations, as DNA technology improves, some of these cases are getting solved, especially where DNA evidence is present, like ours. So we are hopeful for that in the future. It's very difficult um, at times to go through the day realizing that my sister's not here. I just want it to be solved. And it, it, I don't know that it brings closure, but it brings some sort of peace. And um, I'd like that. I certainly don't want this person who could commit this murder once to ever do it again. While Nancy Smith's murder remains unsolved, Sheila Davalu continues to maintain her innocence and serve out her prison time. As early as 2025, she will complete her sentence in New York for the attempted murder of her husband, Paul Christos. At that time, she will be transferred to Connecticut to begin serving 50 years for the murder of Annalisa Raimondo. With good behavior, Sheila could be released in 2075. If she's still alive, she'll be 106 years old. In the meantime, Sheila is appealing her murder conviction and still hopes to clear her name. I might not find out exactly who did it, but I will be exonerated. People get exonerated all the time. My friend was exonerated last week and went home. I feel like it's very easy to get convicted because I saw it happen in Connecticut with very little evidence. I have my federal appeal right now, and I'm still on the path of researching it and appealing it. and. Um, advocating for myself. Sheila's appeal centers on her belief that DNA found in Annalisa Raimondo's bathroom was a result of cross-contamination. She also insists that she was nowhere near Annalisa's Stamford, Connecticut apartment when she was murdered. I wasn't there. I was in New York at the time. My cell tower records will reflect, because I made calls at the time, that should reflect that I'm in New York. But the DA, the prosecutor, is not presenting the cell tower records. And I feel like only those who feel a sense of injustice in a certain part of their crime would speak up. That is my uh, number one reason for doing this. I want the truth in Connecticut, and I'm, I'm going to uncover the truth. 
Sheila continues to justify her story. But is it true, or is it all a facade? When you look at her, you keep scratching your head saying, I cannot believe she did this. I cannot believe she did that. But she did it. And the funny thing about it is, she thinks she's going to get away with it every single time. For more information on Snapped Behind Bars, go to Oxygen.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.